We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Eric Roges, and I'm the Executive Pastor. Today, we'll be learning from Mark chapter 9 as we continue in our series, Masterclass. As Jesus' disciples matured, he began to reveal to them the bigger picture of his ministry on earth. He did not come simply to heal ailments and give wise instructions. He came to sacrifice himself for our eternal salvation and the atonement of sins. The fact that the Son of God came to us to die was difficult for his disciples to understand at first. But Jesus' life, teaching, and message made that truth one of hope, direction, and salvation to them as they continued in their ministry. Now, let's open up scripture to see the bigger picture together. continuing in this series called Masterclass that's really a journey through the Gospel of Mark. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning and you want to go ahead and pre-turn over to Mark chapter 9, that's where we're going to spend the bulk of the morning. Uh, I want to wish a happy Father's Day out there to all the dads and granddads. And maybe that image can just come back. Okay, yeah, if you didn't get a chance to scan that code and register to win one of these prizes, had they put me in charge of this particular event at Rolling Kills, um, an uninterrupted nap would have also been an option to win this week. Um, but then my wife would say, when do you not get an uninterrupted nap? And then that would have caused marital conflict. And so I'm really glad that they didn't put me in charge of this. I get it. Okay, so happy Father's Day. You have a chance to win. When I stand up here, you know, weekly or regularly in the life of Rolling Hills, I will often tell a story, some kind of like something in my own life, typically related to my own children. I do not get their permission most of the time before I tell a story about them on the stage because I let them live with me and I feed them food. So I feel like that's my dues. Um, but I'll tell a story and somehow or another, it's literally always for an application point. It's, it's driving towards some point of the text that we'll be reminded of later. And I racked my brain this week as I studied Mark chapter nine for something related to my own children, especially in the honor of Father's Day, but I came up with nothing. So I'll tell a story about my little sister instead. Makes no sense. But when we were kids, it was the 1980s, and she had probably close to 15, if not more, Cabbage Patch dolls. Many of you will know exactly what I'm talking about when I say a Cabbage Patch doll. That is not the gift of my parents, who I promise you did not spoil us. It was literally grandparents who continued to pour out lavish blessings on us. And she would take all of those Cabbage Patch dolls, and they all had like this little Xavier Roberts written on the backside. Like that's how you knew that they were authentic, and they all came with strange names. They were really ugly, strange-looking dolls. And so she would line them all up on the sofa like literally all 15 of them, taking up all of the room that was in our living room and let them watch television, probably something like My Little Pony or Rainbow Bright, and pretend that they were at the drive-in movie theater. And so as a normal big brother, I would come into the family room to a show that I never wanted to watch and literally make my way in front of the dolls, preventing them from seeing the screen. Like that's what, like just keeping her humble, making sure that big brother took care of little... And she would inevitably scream and say, Dad, Nicholas is, because she called me Nicholas. That's what they all did back in the day. I didn't become Nick until much later. Like, she would call me Nicholas back in the day, and she would say, Dad, Nicholas is standing in front of the television set again, and Patricia Louise cannot see the movie. And I would un 
undoubtedly get in trouble and my dad would get on to me. And then he would offer me some really sage words of wisdom that I want to share with you today. And if you can follow along, oh, well, let me do this. Oh, it's magical. Okay, well, maybe we're there, maybe we're not. Um, But this is what he kind of shared with me. Nicholas, we could also play hangman, like that'd be fun. Um, If this whole iPad thing stops working ever, we can just play another little type of game. He would literally say to me, son, get out of the way. You make a far better door than you do a window. Because no matter what, um, it was not possible for Patricia Louise or any of the other dolls, in fact, to see through me in order to make way of the television set. I'll start this morning with Isaiah chapter 66, leaning in verse 18. I promise that we're going to get to Mark chapter 9, but this particular passage of Scripture has a lot to say to us about that. The Lord begins, and I, it's the conclusion of the prophetic work, literally the last chapter in Isaiah's piece, and I, the Lord is speaking, because of what they have planned and done, literally the sin of all people, am about to come and gather the people of all nations. If you're a person that likes to underline things in the Bible, go about and find this later and underline the word all because it makes sense in this moment of of all nations and languages, and they will come and see, maybe not a better word in all of scripture, my glory. Do you know who can see? People that are gathered, people that are invited, people that are equipped. Do you know who cannot see? People who are blocked, like Patricia Louise, who couldn't see through me. And in the life of the church, we have that as an opportunity and a parameter for what we do this morning. Maybe that's why this whole text today is called the bigger picture, this idea of who can see people who are invited, people who are shown, people who are gathered, all nations of people who are invited to come and see the glory of God. You know who can't see? People who've got somebody standing in front of them. Lord continues, he says, I will set a sign among them and I will send some of those who survived to the nations, to all nations, to to Tarshish and the Libyans and the Lydians who are famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece and to the distant islands, get this, that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory, they will proclaim my glory among the nations. Who, Who can see? Those who've been gathered, those who have been invited, who can't see those who have been blocked, those with somebody literally standing in their way. Here's the deal. People cannot see Christ through you until they see Christ's likeness in you. And the best way for people to see Christ's likeness in you is for you to get out of the way, to get out of the way. John the Baptist proclaimed it like literally like, like, like Jesus must increase and I must decrease. I've got to step back out of the way so that people can see the one who came. And so we land this morning in Mark chapter 9. I hope you make the connection with me. In verse 2, it says this, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. It's literally just Jesus and Peter, James, and John. You know, when the calling of the first disciples happened, there was Andrew in the mix. I guess he's got FOMO in this moment, or he was busy doing something else because he's not included. It's literally just Peter, James, John, and Jesus. There he was transfigured. It's the Greek word metamorphoso, and which literally means metamorphize. Like he literally transformed in front of their eyes, transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Some of your Bible translations are literally going to they launder them. I tell Susan all the time, don't worry about Simon's baseball pants because they've got dirt and grass stains all over them. It's okay that you can't get these stains out. You know who can get all the stains out? The Lord. 
And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Of all the Old Testament characters that could have showed up that day, Elijah and Moses showed up to this moment with the transfiguration of Jesus. And you got to understand what that means because Moses was representative of the Old Testament law, the first five books of the Bible, the covenant, the law that God gave Israel to set them apart, the freedom that they had in a land of promise. Elijah was symbolic of all of the other historical events that happened in the life of Israel, including the prophecy of the events that would come. Literally, the entire Old Testament is summed up by these two characters. And if Moses is there representing the law, and if Elijah is there representing the prophets, and Jesus is standing, I imagine, right in the middle of them, it's communicating to these three dudes that Jesus is the fulfillment of both. All of the law and all of the prophecy, Jesus came to fulfill it both. And they're talking with Jesus, and Peter speaks to him. He says to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Parentheses in my Bible. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Y'all, there's always that guy. The ones who just, who can't just sit in the moment, who has to fill up the silent space with some words. I tend to be that guy. My middle child, Nora Blake, she tends to be that girl. We just, we just fill up whatever silence is there with whatever words we think need to fill that moment. So Peter specks up and says, hey, we got to do something. In that moment, like, I don't know what to say, so I'm going to do something. There's a lot of people like that in your life. He's gonna, we're going to build a shelter for you guys. And then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. It's God's voice. Remember that when Jesus was baptized, the voice came from the cloud. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Hear that voice is again. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And it says, suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except for Jesus. I love this moment when the, the Lord speaks, this thundering voice that comes out, in, it's the declaration of who Jesus is and the direction of what we should do. Like, that's it. Like, that's who Jesus is. This is my son, the Messiah that all Old Testament prophecy and all Old Testament law have pointed to as their fulfillment is right here in Jesus. So what do you need to do in that one? Not build him a house. Listen to what he says. That's us in this moment. The transfiguration of Jesus was a powerful confirmation of of Jesus. And literally, Peter had just done that one chapter before. If you were tracking with us in Mark chapter 8, you know that Jesus came to the region called Caesarea Philippi, and he looked around his disciples, and he's like, hey, who do people say that I am? It's also written down for us in Matthew chapter 16, and the Peter, Peter and the other disciples are talking, well, you know, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus looks squarely at the disciples and says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up. He's typically always the guy that speaks up and says, you're the Messiah, the Son of of God. So in chapter 8, Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah, and in chapter 9, he gets confirmation of what those words were. Y'all, I need those reminders of who Jesus is. I declared him a long time ago in my life, but I need to be reminded regularly who he is. We all need those confirmation moments in life in order to continue in faith, in order to continue in faith. That's why church matters. That's why church matters. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, if you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. That's what I want my children to do, by the way. Like, I want them to obey me when I'm around, but I, but I really want them to obey me when I'm not around. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a continual process. Not that we're being saved by Jesus every single day, but we're continually reminded of what it means to declare him and to follow his 
direction. That's what is. You find me a believer in Jesus Christ who says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't really need church. And that's a believer in Jesus Christ who's about to fail. Because we need it. We need that community of reminders. We need those people spurring us on towards faith and good works in Jesus. We need those people and those moments to constantly be reminded that the faith we declared in him possibly long ago is not just some words that we said when we were eight, but it's literally a life that we've lived and a calling that we've been reminded of along the way because even with, it's in your notes, even with regular revelation, even with regular reminders from my time in God's word, even from regular reminders from mentors in my life and a community of faith that I'm a part of, even with regular revelation, we are still so human in our comprehension. So human. If you continue on, it says in Mark chapter 9, verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant they didn't understand like even with regular revelation even though they had just seen this moment in Jesus transfigured into his perfect glory they still had some sort of comprehension confusion about who he was and what it meant so when they came off the mountain if you pick up in verse 14 this is the moment that they encountered it says when they came to the other disciples they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Well, in Mark chapter 6, the disciples go out two by two, and they cast out demons. But in Mark chapter 9, they apparently cannot cast out this demon. And Jesus responds, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. If you want something right, you got to do it yourself. All the mamas in the room said, amen. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground, and he rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. Can you imagine how many times the dad had to rescue his kid from fire? How many times he had to rescue his kid from water? How many sleepless nights he had worrying about what was going to happen to his own son? It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, I imagine that he got a little sassy in this moment. If you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed. He didn't miss a beat. He filled up the silence. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Some of your Bible translations and other parts of gospel story that mention this narrative say by prayer and fasting if you can the the disciples could in mark 6 but they can't in mark 9 and this man says hey i do believe help my 
unbelief. You see, we all waver in our belief. It's not that one-time declaration that we make and we're always up and to the right in our journey with Jesus. We are up and down depending on our circumstances in the world and the challenges that we face and the fatigue that's in our own flesh. Like, we wonder sometimes if the word that we've trusted, especially so long ago, can remain to be true and steadfast in our lives. It's easy to be a people who waver because belief is not, in your notes this morning, a one-time yes or no declaration. It's a spectrum of faith that's on the move. There's no stagnant waters in the pool of faith. It is always moving in our lives, and there is always an ebb and flow where we need to be reminded of the goodness of God in order to continue trusting, especially when things like this happen and get really, really hard. So the story continues in in Mark chapter 9, verse 30. It's masterclass. We're going to go through the whole thing. It says, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But, verse 32, they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. But they kept quiet on the way because they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child among them and literally placed illustration right here. Point. I'm going to drive the point home. He, he, he took a, a little child and placed it among them and said, taking the child in his arms, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And I imagine in that moment that Peter and James and John gave each other a little side eye wink to say, oh, you yeah, have the one who sent him. How about the one who just proclaimed from a loud thundering voice in heaven to say, this is my son whom I love. We've seen it. We've heard it. We know that he's real. And if we welcome a little child in his name, then we're really welcoming him and not just him, but the one who sent him. This is foreshadowing of the future. And it's not the crowds anymore. It's not just the fans. It's not just the people who want a miracle from Jesus. It's the true disciples who want to know and go deeper and to really follow Jesus. But even in that moment, did you catch what the disciples are doing? Like, even with really strong faith and a deep connection, it's possible to be wildly confused about God's plan. It says they didn't understand what he meant about death and resurrection. Even with, with significant faith and a deep connection to God and his word and to this local church, it's possible for you and I to be confused about the plans of God, but then also about our place in it. Did you catch what they were arguing about? Trying to figure out who is the greatest. That word greatest is literally the word megas in the scripture. It literally means biggest and it means first in order of preeminence. Like, like who comes first? Who's first in this world? I drew a little illustration for you this morning of the idea of what the world is and the idea of what the kingdom is. And, and according to the world, our self, our, our sense of self and our identity and who we are grows as our status does. They are always increasing together. So if you want to have a high status, you have a high view of yourself. And if you do have a high status, you have a high view of yourself. The kingdom of God is exactly the opposite. If you have a high sense of self, you have a really low status in the kingdom of God. The only way to have a higher status is to have a lower sense of self. 
It's, it's literally what God's kingdom and, and what his economy is made of. If we want to have a higher place in the kingdom of God, we've got to get out of the way. Because the higher the sense of self that we have, the bigger we are, the harder it is for Patricia Louise, um, for other people to see. The bigger we are, the more we stand in the way of others being able to see and to know who Jesus is. So the, the passage of Scripture continues in, in verse 38. He said, Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. John's looking at Jesus like, hey, Jesus, we did you a favor because there's somebody out there doing stuff in your name and he's not one of us. So we, we went ahead and took the liberty of, of asking him to quit. And you can imagine what that was in the moment. They had already been arguing about who was the greatest. And now there's this interloper out there trying to show them up. And we can't cast out this certain type of demon. And he's out there casting out demons. And so he's getting ahead of us in this whole game. So, so we got him out of the way so that we can step back up into that place of prominence in your kingdom. So, so don't worry, we've eliminated the competition Jesus, and he replied, do not stop him. For, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And he says, truly I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones back to that kid. See, first it's if anyone welcomes a little kid, they welcome me, and not just me, but the one who sent me. But now, if anyone causes one of these little ones who are those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Oh, Jesus got dramatic. Like, if you're going to make it hard for Patricia Louise in the back to be able to see, it's better for you just to hang something around your neck and be fall into the water. Like, don't block somebody else's view. Then he says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and go into hell where the fire never goes out. And then your Bible translations, like most, skip verse 44 and it goes straight to verse 45. And it says, if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And then it skips 46 and it goes straight to 47. And it says, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two and be thrown into hell. And then it says, verse 48, where, quote, the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. You're wondering, like, hey, why does my Bible skip 44 and 46? It's because the oldest translations of the book of Mark that we found and been able to translate into our languages, they don't have verse 44 and 46, but the newer translations do, and what they are is a repeat of 48. So you literally have the same words repeated three times. Hey, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and go into hell where the fire never goes out, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Oh. And if your foot causes you to stumble, it's better to cut it off because it's better if you go to, into eternal life completely crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out for it's better you can enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. It's literally repeated over and over and then it says in verse 49, everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. This whole picture of hell that's repeated throughout 
the close of Mark chapter 9 is literally the word Gehenna, and it references an Old Testament valley outside of Jerusalem called the Valley of Hinnom, and it's where, where dead bodies and trash were thrown, and it's literally also the place where people sacrificed children to false gods. So the people who were listening to Jesus' words in this moment, when he said hell, what they heard was Gehenna, and what they knew, what it was a valley outside the city where bones and death and decay happened, and also the sacrificing of children happened to gods that were not real. It was literally the, the, the dump of dead bones. This is where it gets really, really good. Because those words in Mark chapter 9, verse 48, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched, they're a direct quote from the last verse of Isaiah 66, which they knew to be a passage about the nations coming to see people who had not heard, people who had not seen being invited to come in. You're welcome, a little child. You show somebody who I am, you're welcoming me. But Lord, help you if you stand in the way of somebody else seeing who Jesus is. There's so many moments in the New Testament where, where believers in Jesus Christ are depicted as salt. And you and I get those kind of illustrations because we're people who use a lot of salt, like in our cooking, and maybe you salt your food when it comes like to your taste and what you like. So we understand the picture of like Christians are supposed to be salt in the world. Like we're supposed to be the seasoning that makes things taste good. Like people are supposed to think that this is good because of the way that you and I live a life that flavors it. Like we understand that. And maybe just maybe if you're somebody who cooks or prepares food or looks at labels. I don't really understand that. Like, you understand that salt is also used as a preservative. Like, so we're supposed to preserve a pure and a holy, like, like righteous church in the world. So you get the idea of salt being used as a seasoning or as a preservative. But in Luke chapter 14, Jesus talked about the idea of salt being used for something different. He said that when salt loses its saltiness, it's neither fit for the soil. And I do not know enough about agriculture to understand why they were putting salt in their soil, but they were, so let's just skip it. But they were also, somehow or another, Jesus said that when salt loses its saltiness, it's not fit for the soil or the manure pot. Now, I don't know why in the world they were salting their manure, so I looked it up. See, in the ancient world, if you provided a good or a service for someone, they weren't just paying you like they did on Venmo or Etsy today. Like, they were, like they were giving you salt. Like, that was currency. Like, it was, it was a commodity, and you needed it, so people would give it to you if you performed a good and service. And you, you didn't just use salt to preserve your food, and you didn't just use salt to season your food. food. You used salt in your manure because manure was a fuel. I'm sorry I'm saying manure so much. I know it's almost lunchtime, and you're probably like, um, I'm just saving you the calories. Okay, so they would put salt in their manure because manure was the fuel for the fire. And if you salted it, the fire burned hotter. And sometimes you just needed your fire to burn hot. And sometimes you just needed to cook your food at a higher temperature or to clean your items at a higher temperature. And so salty salt, like salt that lost its saltiness was not good on the manure. It didn't make the fire burn hot, but, but salt that had its saltiness, if you put it in the manure, it made the fire burn hotter. So we are not just to be seasoning in the world. We are not just to be some sort of preservative in the life of the church. We are to be the thing that makes the flames burn hotter and the gospel be brighter. 
that's what it means to be salty. Alistair Begg commenting on this entire passage, he wrote this, particularly about peace. He says, when Christians fight with one another, we lose the opportunity to be salt in a community that is consumed with fighting each other. Would you say that that's true of our world today? And would you sadly agree with me that it's true in the life of the church? When we fight with each other, we lose our saltiness. Nothing, nothing matters quite like our witness. Nothing, nothing matters. Like literally, if anybody causes a little one to stumble, those people who believe in me, it's better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be thrown into the sea. Do not stand in the way of the Patricia Louises of the world. Nothing matters like your witness. Don't make it hard for other people to see the goodness of God and the gospel that he has given us. James, the, the, the brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James that we have, who became a, a disciple and apostle later in his life, he literally spoke up at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, and he said, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Patricia Louise to turn to God. We shouldn't make it hard for the Gentiles, the nations, the people with other languages to turn to God. Paul agreed. He wrote about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, I become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. I will do whatever it takes to welcome someone in the name of Jesus because I know if I welcome them in the name of Jesus, I'm not just showing them Jesus, but I'm showing them the Father who gave Jesus. Are you, are you ready for this? The Hebrew word for salt is melak. And it's also the Hebrew word that means service. We make a difference in the world when we live out the word of God by serving, accepting, loving, and welcoming people on the outside to see Jesus on the inside. Nothing matters quite like our witness and nothing supports it or squanders it like serving or the lack thereof. Nothing supports our witness like serving, and nothing squanders it like selfishness. When Jesus says it's better to die than to make somebody stumble, <laughs> you might as well be in hell than to stand in somebody else's way. He's quoting Isaiah 66 and telling his disciples, hey, I, I came for the nations this net that I'm casting goes beyond you. This, this ministry that I'm leading goes beyond you. Is your ethic to keep the bad people out or to let them hear? Is it to block their view or to get out of the way and let them see? Like, if you're hearing this morning that sentence in a, in a political way, I don't mean for it to, but if you do, so be it. Maybe you need it. I don't know. There are self-proclaimed believers in Jesus out there, maybe really well-meaning, who are louder and prouder about protecting their own freedom than they are about preserving their witness and sharing the gospel. You see, serving leads to other people seeing. Not serving leads to separation. Or you can just call it hell if that's easier. June 19th this year isn't just 
um, Father's Day. It happens to fall on this Sunday, but it's also every year uh, a holiday that many know as Juneteenth. Um, And if you go back to um, 1863 when Abraham Lincoln pronounced the Emancipation Proclamation, it wasn't like today where anytime anybody says anything, you can find out about it on Twitter or the news media five and a half seconds later. It took a long time for the word to spread right? It took a long time for people to hear, and so June 19th, 1965, like years later, is when word finally got to slaves and owners in Galveston, Texas. Like, on the outskirts of the Confederacy, people were finally getting to hear that freedom had come. It, it took a while for the news to spread, like, like Christ's sacrifice was not this uniform thing that everybody heard and experienced all at one time. It was not a, a universal salvation. It has taken a while for the word to spread. And way back in 1865, not only did it take a while for the word of freedom to spread, there were also people who were standing in the way, who were blocking people's view of freedom. I hope I don't have to tell you that there are people still today standing in the way of people seeing and knowing what it means to be free and ultimately seeing and knowing who Jesus is. And Patricia Louise is back there trying to see. We do not want to be a people who in our lives are somehow inadvertently, like you don't mean to, or somehow on purpose, standing in the way of other people being able to see. If I think that this is the only place that God is working, then I'm standing in the way of other people seeing. If I think that America is the only nation that God is blessing, then I am standing in the way of other people seeing. And I, I got to get out of the way. I got to be smaller so that he can be bigger, so that people can find out about the freedom, so that people can find out about the blessing that this word intended for everybody to be able to see. And this word, Isaiah 66, people intended to hear. And I'll throw this in because it's consistent with other parts of scripture. Like not only are we supposed to be the thing that helps other people see, not only are we supposed to be the thing that helps other people hear, we're supposed to be the thing that makes this taste good. Like we're supposed to be the thing that makes this burn hot. And the way we do that is to be at peace with one another and to serve and welcome the least into our mix. So what are you doing to be at peace with others? What are you doing to show someone Jesus? What are you doing to get out of the way? Or what are you doing to block somebody else's view? Stop that. Stop whatever that is that's getting in the way of other people being able to see, and I'll just throw this out there this morning because I know that Patricia Louise is out there, and Big Brother Nicholas has stood in your way. Maybe it was the church of your childhood. It just wasn't a nice place. I'm sorry. Maybe it was the way that you perceived the gospel or the experiences and the trauma that you've had in your life. For whatever reason, something has been in the way Nicholas is in the way. Patricia Louise can't. Like, something's in the way of of you being able to see. Oh, my prayer. Is that literally from the minute you walked in these doors, or the minute you opened this word, or the minute you heard that song, or the minute you, you were offered that handshake, or the minute you were given that smile or that expression that, that what's really happened in your life, what's really transactionally happened in your life is that 
that thing, that person, that idea, that, that hurt, that hang-up was literally moved by the Father. You make a better door than do a window, son. Get out of her way. Like the Father literally moved it out of the way so that you could see. And I hope you know that God is good, that he loves you and he desires you to know him and to have fellowship with him only through your belief in his son, Jesus. That's what we need to see. That's what we need to show other people. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the chance to be in this place and to open this word and to, Lord, I don't want to say examine what it says because we're not examining your word today, God. Your word is examining us. Like we're on the table, mouth open, tongue out, say, ah, Lord, look inside. Listen to our hearts. Tell us if something's wrong. Tell us if there's, if there's something wrong. Examine us, God. Tell us if there's something wrong in us that's preventing other people from seeing how good you are and how much love you have for them. Tell us what that is, God, and then cure us of it. Help us to know you and to see you. And God, for Patricia Louise out there, Father, I pray that today has been a day when he or she has, has really seen you. And maybe today, for the first time in their life, it's clear, and they want to tell you that they trust you. That they want to ask you to forgive them, and they want to ask you to welcome them, and they want to ask you to be Lord of them, so that they can, like a disciple, deep dive into what it means to follow you. Whatever decision or, or point of reference you're coming to today, there's probably a spot on the bottom of your connection card. Maybe let us know if God is doing something in you. Check a box, drop it in the basket when it passes. Let us know the ways that we can pray for you and connect with you on your journey of faith to help you see Jesus better. We don't always get it right here. Sometimes we inadvertently and accidentally stand in the way, but our whole goal is to step aside and let you see Jesus. He's the reason why we're here. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the chance to gather in this place. Amen. We're so glad you listened in on our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. We would love for you to share our content with the people in your life. Remember to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a sermon. Be sure to explore our other great podcasts like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're so thankful for you listeners. See you next time.